Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and addict. As always, I want to remind everyone that our mission is to share experience, strength, and hope across multiple media platforms. The story of addiction and the road to recovery. Again, we're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step based organizations or groups in any way. This is part two with my interview with Caesar. And uh, this is where the miracle comes in, man. It's just the transformation that takes place this other prison sense that we're about to talk about and we're about to pick up on. It's just truly, I don't know how to explain it any other way than just truly a miracle and act of God and the actions that he's put in finding a program and vigorously working it and, and getting uncomfortable and getting vulnerable and, and letting go of the codes and all the different things um, that was instilled on him in the lifestyle and just being willing and surrendering and waving that white flag, man, and just really going after it. So ultimately, you get another prison sense. So we're talking 2018. You're in Yuma. Um, you run around with Michelle. It's just the progression of your disease. And again, shout out to her. And she's amazing. And I know, you know, the type of person she is. I just want to make sure that, you know, being speaking to you so many times, just understanding that relationship. Just big shout out to Michelle when she hears this, because um, she's tr- truly it's just a blessing, man, for everyone that she's involved with in their life. So you end up getting a prison sentence in 2018. So what what happens with that? If you don't, you don't have to get in the specificness of it, but you catch another case. How much time did you get? Um, what was that like for you? Yeah, so one day Michelle and I were cruising around. Um, we're in a Tahoe that her grandma had left us right before she passed away from cancer. Um, I should probably touch a little bit about that. You know, gr- grandma, man, she had a pancreatic cancer. She was on her way out. She was, on rely- she was relying on me and Michelle. Oh, okay. To, to take, take her to her, her appointments, her, take right? Take her to her appointments this. and all that. And I mean, and and my life was just so unmanageable, and I just couldn't do nothing with it. That like, I wasn't able to be there for her. And I mean, I remember that being real, very painful to to see that this beautiful lady who was at the end of her life with cancer, relying on Michelle and I to be there for her and care for her during her last days, and. There was just no way I could do it. Man. Yeah. Like I only had one thing on my mind. It was drugs. It was drugs. I mean, um, and that's what it was. I mean, but either way, to answer your question, um, Michelle and I were out there cruising around one day. Um, I got two guns on me. I got some weight on me. There's some scales, and um, coming out of this coals that we're trying to uh, basically you're boosting fraudulently using oh, grandma's yeah. credit cards because sure. she just passed away and we figured well run, she, run them up probably want us to use them yeah I mean, yeah she definitely so, want that yeah so <laughs> I, I mean I, I convinced michelle i think michelle wanted me to convince her actually and i mean it was a yeah, good idea we're yeah gonna go, we're we're shopping gonna, spree. Spree, we're gonna treat yeah. all the kids and i mean grandma wants us to go out with a bang and we use her credit cards we're starting hitting other little jc pennies and sam's gloves and we're doing all kinds of well stuff like that strung the hell out and uh yeah Coming out of Coles, um, cop gets behind me, hits the light. And I had this feeling I knew that was the end of it. Uh oh. I mean, I was like, okay, this and a second for a second I said, I'm gonna run. And then for another second I said, No, nah, I think I'm gonna shoot. Sure. Then, I'm gonna sit, then I said, I don't have the courage to do any of that yeah, right now. Yeah. And I'm just gonna sit right here. Maybe I'm gonna play it out. Maybe he's just gonna give me a ticket or a warning. I don't know why he's pulling me over. But um, man, I had a warrant. Yeah. And he put a handcuff on me, and um, later on, I found out that, um, man, Michelle said, those guns are mine. You know what I mean? yeah. And they really weren't hers. They were mine. Yeah. 
Um, so she took the case for she you. Took the case for the guns. I mean, and probation for she her. Got on probation. She's actually on probation right now. She's just about to finish it. Hopefully. Yes. Here, here, here yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So either way, she wow. she got put on probation for those guns. But I took the judge charges. You know, they had the scales and they had everything they need, all the weight. They had everything they need to um, get me on a sales case. So that's basically what happened. Uh, I went to Yuma County Jail, and uh, man, I left Michelle and the kids out there homeless. Sure. I mean, the car, everything they were using, the cops took it. The money was Impounded gone. Impounded it because the drugs was, and the yeah, sales charge. They everything took, was took, gone. Took the car. Everything was gone. And, and um, to this day, she tries to explain to me, like, what it was for her and the kids out there when I was gone. And and I can't even grasp it. I can only imagine what a woman like that, like her and the kids, had to go through out there being homeless. And, and everybody that she was reaching out to help out there turning up, it just didn't work out. I mean, yeah. let's just keep it like that. But... Um, Man, I'm in jail, and something strange happened to me in jail this time. This time in Yuma, that's never happened to me. I've been to jails and juvenile halls and prisons more times than I can tell you. I can't even add it up. I have to go online or something to tell yeah. you. I mean, I just, off the top of my head, I can't tell you. And I've never experienced any kind of sense of remorse or or guilt, guilt or yeah. shame and all of that. But this time, I was experiencing it. And I remember thinking to myself, where is this coming from? This is not normal. Caesar never feels bad about these kind of things. I'm usually like, whoever whoever was was was, was a victim of what I had to go through just so I could get what I get, that's just what, what it is. It is I mean, what that's it how is. Self-service. Chalk it up to the game. That's how selfish I was. But this time, man, I felt pain. And I felt like I started feeling like I really let some, some important people in my life down. And uh, I had nightmares for man will seem to be at least a month straight in that county jail and it was driving me nuts and this is an important part of my story because i thought to me back then i thought there were nightmares but then the revelation was like no it wasn't nightmares it was actually memories of things that were going on that you were just reliving in your mind and it really had gone down that was reality. It was reality. Yeah. Sure. And it wasn't necessarily that it was a dream. It was just things that were just replaying over and over in my mind that I couldn't let go. But, um, man, by the grace of God, um, they ended up hitting me with three and a half years for sales. And um, it was a first plea bargain on the table. And I remember expecting at least a 10 or something like that. So when they were like three and a half, I remember telling my family, I'm jumping on it. Yeah, where do I sign? Yeah. My, Quick. My twin brother, who's done a lot of time too, turn his life around, works a program. Shout um, out to your brother. Shout out to my brother. He was yeah. like, Caesar, don't don't second guess this because if you do, you might not ever get this chance again, right? And I jumped on it. Then Michelle was like, we could take this to the box. We could win. I was like, nah, we're not going to do that. Nah, we're not shooting a dice on that. We're not doing that. So there we go. We're off to prison. Now I'm going to see what Arizona prison um, systems look like. And uh, it's um, different. It's, di- it's different. You know, I, I landed on Red Rock and it was pretty active over yeah, there. Yeah, it was pretty live over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the system is, during this period of time, it was making this shift, right? The IHP program, integrated housing program, the shift of politics. But there were still, there still are, and, there, and at this time, there were still some yards that wouldn't conform to that and were still highly active. And mm-hmm. Red Rock was one of those yards. Red Rock was active. So I hit, I hit Red Rock and... At this time, Michelle and I were communicating. I mean, she got some money on the on the phone. I'm calling her, talking to the kids. Um, I get this idea that even though I want to do good, I'm thinking, man, I could probably sell drugs from here. 
and help run the streets. So you're from you're from California, right? And you're in Arizona prison. There's definitely a lot of you know gang members and a lot of people from California incarcerated out here. But did they know who you were when you touched the ground? Did they already know who you were? Um, How'd that work for you? Probably not all of them, but a handful of them did. I mean, um, they knew I was on my way, some of them, and the other ones found so out. So they already quick. knew you were arriving before you got there, the, the influential ones on the yard, right? Yeah. Based off your history. Sure. And that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And and I knew what's expected of me the minute I hit that yard. I know I the reputation know, that I you have. know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. And like I got, the requirements, if you will, of, sure. of what you've done in the past and now being back in. And, you know, we always, you know, talk about you see all the time in gang life and even movies and stuff. It's like always in, never out. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're in, dude. And so now you're back into that environment and you're in. You can't be out. Right. So now you're expected to do certain things. And that must have been a struggle for you, was it? I mean, what was that like? Absolutely. I was torn because, like I said, the shame, the guilt. I want to change. I want to do something for my kids. I'm starting to feel like like I let my family down. And I really want to, like, somehow make a this impossible change. And I mean, and, and and be a better person. But then at the same time, I'm still kind of attracted to this lifestyle. And I'm still not sure how I could say no, how I could back You almost can't. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, I, could have, I could have a target put on me if I... If I decide to not do put a it, green light on you, or they're, it, you're coming it, it, it after your life, you could go after my family. Who knows? I mean, it's, it, it could get real crazy. But that's what it was like for me at Red Rock, kind of. I mean, like, I got there and and um, I got involved. Sure. I mean, <laughs> I got involved, but but in my private moments, on my alone time, you were I'm, searching for some. I'm searching. I mean, I know God is calling me, and he, He's catching my attention, and 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 I'm I'm entertaining Bible studies, and I'm going to church, and and. And I'm stopping before I go to church and I'm handing the knife out to, to a buddy of mine until your home is until I'm out of church. And he's like, okay. And I mean, and everybody's like, like what, what is this guy doing? He's a mess right now. And he's never like that. He's usually focused. I know what I need to do when I'm in prison. But I was hungry for something at that time. And yeah. I, 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 it, was the, it was the beginning of like me thinking about change and what it looked like, right? Um, but yeah, it was basically like, Long living story. two lives right yeah, like, i was just gonna hit that you're, yeah you're living two lives I was an imposter and i mean i was just a hypocrite and i mean i was yeah. i was entertaining one lifestyle and another one at the same time and i learned a hard lesson that it's never gonna work like that it's sure. not um i had to pick one or the other um what it looked like is like i can't go in here run uh, run into this guy's cell attack him go to church i can't sell drugs in the yard go to a bible study i can't pack work that way it's not gonna work like that i mean and god wasn't gonna allow me to work no, he wasn't sure. gonna let that happen he was saying caesar you're at a crossroads you have to pick and i mean the problem was that um it was it could have cost me my life sure right and so we always talk about god doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, for ourselves yeah. right and when we look back at this moment he does for you what you couldn't do for yourself at that time for for several reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, what happens before you make that move so that that change comes over you and you end up we end up coming into contact? What was that last those last moments like at Red Rock? What was that like for you? Because it's really powerful. Sure. So, um, man, it is powerful. I hope I don't get all choked up talking about it. I can't promise anything. <laughs> um, so what happened was, man, everything the prison term was going well. Michelle had this little. Uh, money that her grandma had left her from when she passed away and there was money on the books and and all that good stuff right and then one day i get called to to the um to the chaplain's office actually and um the co3s are there the counselors there and i mean they're like we need you to prepare yourself for 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 some bad news 
And I'm like, um, okay, what is it? And I mean, I'm, and they they just flat flat out tell me that um, Michelle had o- overdosed, and um, and then my kids have been taken away, yeah. and they were now in CPS custody. Um, and I remember crying in front of the um, chaplain and um, the CO three and the counselor in front of me. And I remember thinking to myself, this is going to get real bad right now for me. I'm going to go out there in this yard and hit, yeah. hit it hard. Or yeah. or this is going to be the moment that, that it's a turning point. It's going to go sure. either way, right? Right. And um, and I remember um, them asking me, Caesar, how can we help you, right? Because they know they, they can see that I'm, I'm, I don't have the coping skills to deal with it. Sure. Drugs are my only coping skills. Violence is my only coping skills. Somehow I'm going to have to deal with this, but I don't know. I'm not sure how yet. And um, the only thing that I could tell him is like, I need to get to a minimum security yard. You know what I mean? And they were like, why? It's because I want to fight for my kids. You guys don't got no programs here. There's nothing I could do here. They told me, Caesar, we're going to put you in one class here. It's a computer class. That's going to, if you pass that, it's going to give you enough points. And to drop, drop your points, drop right? Drop your points. You're going to hit a two yard for the first time. And I was like, sign me up. Right? So they signed me up. Long story short. Um, a TA from that computer class accidentally sends me all the answers to every test to my to my computer, and then he comes up to me and tells me, "Hey, I accidentally sent them to you. They're supposed to go someone else, but you could use them if you want." Yeah. So I said, <laughs> "Thank you, thank you," <laughs> and I just flew through that whole computer class. Right. Yeah. Did all the tests back to back. The teacher was like, "Man, this guy's on fire!" And I mean, I had all the answers. And I mean, I just yeah. passed it with flying colors. They gave me a certificate, reclassified me. And um, they sent you to North Unit. Next thing you know, they tell me, pack your stuff, Caesar. Mr. Reynaga, you're going to pack your stuff, Caesar. You're going to another prison. And I remember um, being strung out at that time on heroin. Sure. Um, I had hit hit the prison yard. I started, I went pretty hard with the drugs. And uh, um, I was on the bus, stop sick. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, basically, and yeah. I remember there was a big prayer that I that I um they gave out before that the night that I would transpack. You know, and when you transpack, you they take all your stuff, all mm-hmm. your all you got left is just like one one change of clothes, one change of that's clothes, it. Yeah. everything's gone. I mean, and, and um, I remember praying and, and and asking God as I as I started to experience Him at that time, um, like I really need Your help. I want to change, right? I really want to change. Um, and He sent me to the North Unit. And what I experienced there was nothing short than the power of God just all over that yard. Yeah, I mean, God was on that yard, dude. There's no other way to explain it than that. The the success rate, the the miracles. I mean, there is 30 plus miracles and we all are out, all successful, all sober, all helping each other. We were at Top Golf a couple weeks ago for Christmas. 30 plus guys from that yard. It's unheard of, all sober. It's just unbelievable. And so that's when we come into contact. So just like we started part one, we talked about you coming in, looking for a job and searching. You were a couple days sober at the time, right? You've been dope sick. You were searching for something else. You saw that, you know, they didn't know who you were on this yard. There wasn't politics on North Union. We were so blessed to not have that on. You could do you. You could be any. You can just be you without having fear of consequences. And I think that played a really big part um, in the recovery community there because, 
I mean, when I think about it, our recovery community there was the biggest gang on the yard. Sure. We're, deep. <laughs> we're pretty deep, you yeah. know, and 50 plus guys in a meeting. And so ultimately you come in and, you know, uh, we end up getting a job. And I remember, you know, Miss Franz saying, you know, God, she felt like God had brought you to our room. And I said, well, if God brought him here, then let's hire him. And so we did. And uh, I remember talking to you and I said, hey, look, you know, again, I take this shit seriously. You got to attend meetings. This isn't just when you're at work type thing. You got to live it on the yard. And I remember a week had went by and you'd been to work a few days and I didn't see it at any meetings. I said, I'm going to fucking find it, dude. <laughs> I found you. I remember, I, and I remember exactly where we were. We were over there. We were coming across from the, uh, we were right by where I lived over there, right? By, by, Char- little, by Little Canal. By the Little Canal, yeah. by the bridge right there. I was on one side of the bridge and you were on the other. And I said, hey, what's up, bro? I told you meetings are mandatory, dude. You got to live this life if you're going to work up there. I ain't seen you at a meeting, brother. <laughs> and you looked at me like, who the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that looking back, looking back, I could laugh about it today, but I needed that accountability so bad at that time, Lenny, because like I wanted to change. I had no idea what that looked like. And to be honest, like I really didn't have the necessary power or action to just follow through on what I wanted to do, but I really wanted it. And you convinced me that that day um i remember telling you something like oh there's that's something i want to do either it was probably a football game or a movie that i really needed to watch for some weird reason and i was just full of excuses and i mean but then i remember this little nudge that i know today to be god and this sure this that tells me caesar like just dive into this and i mean just keep it all you got and i mean and and i walked into this meeting for the first time on the prison yard um a a ha meeting actually on on a thursday night seven and um what was that like <laughs> man and i walked in there and i was the only mexican there yeah, you man. Were. Was, everybody else was just a bunch of uh cool white dudes and, yeah. I mean, and, and i felt out of out of place and i was just like oh man this, this might not be the place for me right yeah it's different especially everything you've been through in your lifestyle and sticking yeah. to your own and everything that we're conditioned to in prison it's exactly. all of a sudden now yeah. hold up i'm in a different element exactly. right and all my so, whole life i lived like just a certain kind of crowd, a certain kind of this is what it looks like, and all of a sudden I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm out of I mean and one thing I know for certain, big shout out to Vegas. When he showed up, <laughs> there was a native and a and a black guy now. There you go, yeah. Yeah, that's a double header. Big <laughs> shout out to Vegas. Got some backup. I was praying on it. <laughs> Vegas showed up. But you know, we we talk about that now because it was it was difficult for you. how am I gonna trust these guys? They're not my race. We're conditioned to think that I'm gonna ask one of these guys to be my sponsor and help me. I don't know if I could trust these dudes. They haven't experienced the same, they come from a different lifestyle and you know. And it, it was different for you, but you stuck it out, man. And uh, ultimately, you got a sponsor and you started to work the steps. What was that experience? And, and, in, and in between working the steps, you're with me uh, every single day. You're helping me facilitate groups. You immediately started sharing your experience. You never missed a day of work. You stayed late. You came early. You asked questions. You took notes. You did all these things, man, because recovery is all about action, right? Talking about it ain't going to get it done. It's not for people who who want it. It's not for people who need it. It's for people who do it. And you started to do it during this period of time. Um, but what was it like, you know, because the miracle happens through working the steps and having a conception of God and let him enter into your heart. So what was that process like for you? Man, for me, trust. I mean, the, the beginning, like, how am I going to trust? How am I going to put my life, my recovery in, in this in this group right here, in this individual? Like, I don't even know too much about him. Like, we're, we're opposites. I mean, but... Like the pain, the desperation is just 
like the I'll gift try anything the gift right it's yes. a gift exactly i was so desperate for a new life that even though like i could find a million reasons why i don't want to do this like i just really wanted a new way to live and i was like whatever it takes and i mean and that's basically what it looked like for me i i decided to get vulnerable and i decided to walk in and ask for help um i went from not the first meeting that i went to i remember thinking to myself i'm not ever coming back to any one of these i don't even know what i'm doing here this is crazy i'm just gonna get a job in the kitchen yeah. you know i mean i'm just yeah. this is just nuts but then i heard a message from god coming in sure. those rooms and what that message was was somebody who'd been through what i've been through maybe not necessarily from my neck of the woods but that hopeless state trying it over and over and then they weren't like that no more and as far as i was concerned what they were talking about was impossible sure there's no way that that's possible right but it's sitting right in front of me visual proof that this program could work and i decided okay i'll come back one more time for another meeting i'll come back just one more time yeah I mean, they got just one more yeah, yeah free coffee you know what i mean I was like, okay, <laughs> we had coffee at that meeting remember coffee yeah <laughs> cookies sometimes yeah, sometimes cookies i think you might as well have a nacho party once in a while yeah you know, like, sure all those things made a difference i'm gonna come back and it wasn't pushed on me i just sat down and listened and listened and listened and you guys had such a powerful story and evidence right in front of me that i said couldn't deny it i can't deny it yeah it could work for me for sure mm -hmm. So you started working the steps, you got a sponsor immediately, um, and your life changed, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, your life completely changed, you know, and, you know, we can talk, you know, about the steps and we, we can talk about those things, you know, but, you know, steps one, two, and three, I mean, the powerless, the unmanageability, you can see that in every aspect of your life. And I heard someone say that my God wears people clothes. <laughs> and, I, and big shout out to Ron, big shout out to Ron, Ronnie, no matter what, you know what it is. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. And he says that, dude, and I love that dude, because I hear messages through people. I believe my, God talks to me through other people, man. And, and it, it talked through everyone. God talked through everyone on that yard, mm -hmm. but you started working the steps and, you know, during this period of time, you had started doing Bible studies and attending church services and doing all these things. Um, so when it came to steps two and three, was that difficult for you to believe and make a decision in three? Did the difficulty come in four and five? I mean, especially coming from the code of silence and the and the lifestyle that you live, talk, start sure. talking about deep, dark secrets and doing all those things. Yeah, I really want to focus really on that this part with the steps, what that specifically that area looked like for you. Steps one, two and three. So, um, man, I decided to get a sponsor. And I mean, like, it's a trip because like. I decided to ask this guy to sponsor me, Chris, and uh, shout out Chris, shout out to Chris, my brother, Meister. And um, the next day, I realized he has a little bit of a gambling problem, right? <laughs> just a little bit, <laughs> just a, just a tad. I mean, but but he would spend time with me. And I mean, and we started getting together on, on on the benches, and and he started talking to me about this book and the program being in the book mm -hmm. and a, application of the program and what that's gonna look like for me. Um, and we started to take a look at step one. And basically what that looked like for me is that I needed to, to once and for all understand that I could no longer safely use drugs or alcohol in any way, shape or form ever again, that I'm not like other people. Mm. I'm never gonna be able to do that anymore. That's, that's, that's those days are gone, Yeah. right? That was a devastating blow because like, that's my coping skill. Sure. Like, that's how I deal now with Now I gotta it. feel. Yeah, now I gotta, exactly. <laughs> now I gotta uh -oh. take it on as it is, right? And I don't know, I didn't know what that was gonna look like for me. But the truth is that through identifying in the types of users, the five types, the three types, and I mean, can, mm -hmm. you, can you relate to this? Can you relate to that? Like, I couldn't say no. I, 
I was one of them too. I mean, and that's what it looked like for me. Sure. Um, step two, uh, based on the evidence in front of me, did I believe that God could restore me? The evidence was at that point, my fellowship. Sure. And I mean, the person that's working with me, I'm looking at the evidence right in front of me. Can I believe that they, they could restore me to sanity? My God could restore me to sanity. Absolutely. I, I, I could believe that. I already had a relationship with God starting off. I wasn't really applying it at that time. Um, it was more of but a, it was there. It was there. Something was there. Sure. Um, making that decision to finally um, put the footwork in, right? Man, gave it to God, right? What does that look like? Well, guess what? Well, now I'm going by my first name. I'm not going by a nickname anymore. It's all, it's gone. Yeah. Everything is gone. It's, the only way this is going to work for me is if I dive completely in. Um, let and go, you did. Let go of my old lifestyle. And I remember God revealing that to me over and over and over as you guys talked in meetings. And it's exactly what you said. Like God was talking to it's me crazy. through you guys, yeah, right? That's crazy. And he had message over and over and over. But application was like the powerful part because every time I applied something that you guys mentioned in the meetings, it worked. Was, it worked. And I got powerful, more powerful, more powerful. Sure. So it was easy for me to just. I'm doing it. Give my life over to God. And I mean, my, my, my thoughts, my actions, everything. Here I am, God. And I mean, good and the bad. There it is. Right? There it is. Thoughts and actions. Make a decision to turn my will and my yeah. life. My will is my thoughts and my life is my actions. I got this conception of God, these morals and these values in step two. And the step three decision is to live that way. And when I don't, I correct it. And when I don't, I correct it. And ultimately, the consistency creates a new identity and one we could be proud of. We're never going to be perfect. So that leads you into step four and five. And yeah. And so we got to talk about some things in four and five. Sure. What was that experience like for you? So, man, I can't deny what's on paper, right? <laughs> uh, I was fortunate because I, I I had all day with you guys, Chris, you, together, yeah. um, Mrs. Franz, like all the guys would come in and out the, uh, in, in and out that um, recovery center. And um, basically my whole day was basically step work. And I mean, I during, during the breaks from group, I would do my step work, and that four-step was, man, it was painful. And I mean, sure. I still got teardrops on, on that notebook uh, that sure. I used to write stuff on. I mean, and, it, and I revealed, like, the resentments. I, re I revealed the fears. I revealed the the pain that, that had been going on in my life through how the book was telling me to do it. And I mean, and what that revealed to me was just basically, like, this is my disease. Sure. It's not just the drugs and the alcohol. This is what it really is. This is the root. The causes of my conditions. This is the root right here. Yeah. This is what I've been running from my whole life. And this is why I continue to use drugs because they work. Don't think, don't feel, don't care. But the problem is it causes more four-step bullshit. Right? <laughs> like that's what it causes. Yeah. So that's why it becomes extremely difficult. And then you do a fifth step. And I remember, man, that you would, you would in between group. And I'm talking in between group, you're doing step work. After after work, you're doing step group or step work. Then you're going to meetings. You started going to every single meeting, four or five nights a week with, with church services on Friday, never missing, working with others and figuring this thing out. And through doing this, dude, you have a psychic change, right? Yeah. And the miracle starts to take place. Absolutely. There started to be a revolutionized change in my thinking and my living. Started happening. Application of the program, right? Um, man, the fifth step for me was, it was uncomfortable because for the first time in my life, like... I was going to just, at that time, I believed it to be to another human being. But what it really was, I was finally fessing up to God. Sure. This is what it is, God. And I mean, here I am. And I mean, um, all these codes and all that they were stopping me from before. Like, how am I going to tell this individual, like, everything? And I'm thinking, nah, some. 
Yeah, right? just, just, I'm just gonna give yeah, him just, just a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. I don't want to tell him my embarrassing ones. I don't yeah. want to tell him those disgusting things that I did. And I mean, but over and over in my mind, what kept on playing was like, if you're gonna do this, Caesar, don't do it. Just dive right in, give it a hundred percent. And I did the best that I could. I mean, at that time, it's gotten a lot better from then to now. A couple of years since then, but sure, um, this individual and I mean, like she, he just I gave him a whole life story, and I remember just like freedom. Sure, I mean, it felt so good to to release that and and just give it up. And and he's looked at me and said, you know what, Caesar, I've done a lot of those things too, if not all of them. Yeah, you're not alone. Me too. <laughs> and that's the powerful yeah. thing about it, dude. And, and it's you know the the promises, every twisted character, every dark cranny of the past, withholding nothing. We could look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. And in doing so, it's the first time we can just say, oh, man, dude, I can just be me. I don't have to. We bring those secrets from the dark to the light and we take the power out of them. And that's the most important part of the fifth step. So in doing this, man, a revolutionary change comes over you. And I remember witnessing it and just seeing and being a part of a miracle. And what happens from there is just undeniable and and it's so important to share and i can't wait to just get to this part to to just man just to speak on it so i'm just going to take this over just for one second and i want you to share on it and speak on it so through working the steps man and i remember there was a point where you still are this way you don't cuss very much you don't like to talk about really anything in the past you never want to glorify anything that you've ever been through or even really discuss it unless there's purpose and reason behind it um you don't gossip. You know, I'm a gossiper. I like, I like to know juice. I'm always trying to get some, some info from you and you never gossip. You never talk about, I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, and, it, and it's just, it's amazing. So during this period of time, you work the steps. Now I just want everyone to know during this period of time, right? He works the steps. He has a psychic change. God literally performs a miracle. I witnessed it from the day he walked in and I interrogated him. He got a job to fast forward now to where we are through working the steps. He's attending every single meeting, Five nights a week, man. He's sponsoring guys. He actually started a Spanish-speaking meeting on the yard, a Spanish meeting, so we can start to include those who didn't speak English on the yard. He's chairing that meeting. He's not only attending Bible studies, he's leading Bible studies. He's attending church services every Friday night. He's sponsoring many different men. He's facilitating groups. He's playing a bigger role. He's helping everybody around the yard. It's a complete change, and he becomes visual proof how powerful God is. And it's just, it's unreal. But during this time, what, what do you remember all those things going on in your life? Like just that change and how different it was in this new identity. Just what does that time period remind you of? Man, action. It's just it's what you call it, action. But most importantly, like you guys set that example of what it looked like for me because I didn't know what it looked like. Um, being able to witness you guys and watch you guys and, and just draw close to that example as best as I could. Um, and then seeing the results that come from that, you know what I mean, and then just continue to do it more, and then the results come again. Um, I was blessed. God put me on this yard with just such a great recovery community and, and taking a little bit from you, taking a little bit from Chris, taking a little bit from Sean, Miss Franz, taking a little bit from the volunteers that will come in, Big Tom, Rick, Pepe. Shout out. Shout, Shout out, out to Pepe, all Bill, of them guys Bill, who put on everyone. the badge and come in. And, yeah, exactly, yeah, they'll come in and just spend time with us and, tell us about the book and all that. And um, I started to apply what the book said. I mean, and, and to the best that I could. And if I didn't know something, I asked questions. There's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of questions. I mean, 
this book is written in, in, a, in almost in a language that I didn't understand. But you know what? If it, if it suggested something, I'm doing it. And if my sponsor tells me to do something, I'm doing it. And if a close friend of something tells me to do something, I'm gonna do that too. And it's just starting to it started to build me, and it started to build this foundation. And then I started to realize that um, it was drawing me closer to God. Sure. And then I started realizing that it was um, it was transforming my mind. It was renewing me. It was um, turning me into this whole new person. And um, but I still had a lot of work to do. I still had a lot of work to go. Uh, my release date was coming up in about a year. Um, once in a while, um, I had the opportunity to talk to my kids. And the reason why I stopped cussing and I'm working on that was because I called my son one day to, for his birthday, right? Um, I can't remember right. exactly how old he was turning. He's probably like turning like three or something like that or four maybe. Um, and I asked him, son, what do you want for your birthday? And I mean, he tells me, I want a fucking cigarette, dad. <laughs> I mean, and, I remember uh, you sharing that with me. <laughs> and I remember that broke my heart. And I mean, it was cute, but it broke my heart. And I mean, I was like, man, the example that I'm giving this kid, like, got to change everything. I got to change it. Sure. And I mean, I got to change it. And I mean, and so all these little things that, that started to come up that I said, I got to change this. I got to change that. Nobody was forcing me. My sponsor never told me, hey, Caesar, stop doing this and stop doing that. Like, these are things that just were just revealing to me. And I mean, and uh, I did the best I could to work on those things. Um, but what you said, though, is you said it was drawing you closer to God. And it drew you so close to God that you got baptized on the yard. Yep. And you did. And I'll never forget that. And I remember you invited some of the guys from the fellowship. And you invited some of the friends that weren't in the fellowship. And you just wanted some people to be there because this was extreme. And I can't express how much this moment meant to me just to be there for you and just witness that. But from being the, the, a gang member and, and just the type of lifestyle to getting baptized on the yard making that commitment to God. And I remember we got all the guys together and we went over to your house and you look first, you look stunned. Cause there was about 10 of us and <laughs> like, what you guys are deep. <laughs> we rolled deep and we went over there, yeah. dude, and we supported you through that moment. And it was just, it's something that I will, I will never cherish or I will always cherish, excuse me. And I remember anytime I ever talk about you to anyone, I, I can just speak on just the crazy transformation of, what you, who you used to be and the things you were involved into the person, the man you are today. That for me was like just such a pivotal moment to see that dude it was like, Holy man, dude, like, wow. From that guy I first met to now getting baptized and amongst everything else you're doing was like, damn, dude, this is, this is really cool. Like God is so powerful and God is on this yard. And Miss Franz was right. God brought you to our doorstep that day. And she was 100% right. What was that like, man? Getting baptized on the yard? I mean, what was that moment feel like? I had this revelation that my dependency on drugs and alcohol were actually only a foreshadow of the dependency that I was coming come to have with God. And that's basically what it came down to. And I mean that it's all about that dependency is always gonna be there, but I was gonna redirect it towards God. And uh I said before I get released from prison, I wanna leave this experience that I've had from age 11 all the way up to at that time, 38 years old. And I said, I want to leave with peace and I want to leave with love. I don't want to leave with resentment. I don't want to leave with memories of, of violence and memories of, of just wasted years and all that. Like I'm going to go from serving time to allowing it to serve me. I'm going to take advantage of everything that's possibly on the yard, all the programs, all the classes and everything and help that. So that could empower me. And, 
I said to God, I'm going to do everything you ask for me. And my Bible tells me to baptize. <laughs> I mean, and I said, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And what that symbolized to me was the death of an old person and a risen to and a new one in, in Christ, right? And that was actually the last day I smoked a cigarette, too. It was. <laughs> I smoked a cigarette right before I went and got submerged. And I remember asking God, remove it. Remove this. I, yeah. Like, this is the last habit that I have right now in prison. I really want it. I mean, the more I try, the harder it gets. Please remove it. I'm going to have one last one. Yeah, one more. Just one, one more one. And then that was the last time I smoked tobacco, yeah. too. And I mean, and, and I remember feeling so good because this program taught me about God and God taught me about forgiveness. There's no more shame. There's no more guilt. That's all removed. And I mean, and it's freeing. I was more free in prison than I ever had been on the streets. Yeah. And I mean, and I can relate to that. And, and it was just a beautiful experience to have because I was literally happy in prison when like a lot of things on, on the outside of my family were just crumbling down. Things weren't working out. The kids might be placed in um, um, permanent um, placement in CPS. Michelle's still working on finding her path. She's still working on finding recovery. And I said, man, I got to do this for me. And I mean, I, it can't be just the kids. It can't be just that I got to do this for me. And, and so we uh, do recovery because we don't want to feel the way we feel anymore. But it's the external things, the, the mothers who never gave up on us, the girls, the kids. It's all these things that are the motivating factors to get them feet moving. And you kept them feet moving in spite of all of it. I mean, you had some phone calls. You got yeah. some news. You got some letters. And it was tough. We talked about it. We cried. We, we look for solutions. We consulted other guys in the fellowship to have the same experience and how they handled it. And we were able to get through all these things. And during this period of time, again, I listed all those things, but you were also going to college, bro. Yeah, I started going to college. <laughs> you were going to college. Yeah, I didn't want to go to college. I'm going to be real with you. What happened one day once my sponsor came up to me, you know, Chris was like, hey, Caesar, check it out. You're going to college. And I was like, get the hell out of here. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not equipped to, that, to do mm -hmm. that. I only have a fifth grade education level. And I mean, yeah. like, not to mention that that GED that we talked about earlier, <laughs> yeah. but like I'm not equipped to take on college. And he was like, "Remember, we talked about like what are you going to do for this?" And you said yeah. anything, and I was going to remind you of that when when you started the backpedal. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, and so I signed up. And you started. I remember yeah. we we met, and I started helping you and, and teaching you how to write essays and just helping you just a little bit. And it didn't take very long until I didn't need to help you at all whatsoever. And you were in your room. I remember I come over there. Right, you got your books out. You yeah. made a tablet stand, and you're writing essays. You got your coffee going, yeah. dude. And it just and I remember reading some of those, and you asked me to just to kind of proofread it. And I was just like, "Wow, dude, this is a trip." Yeah. Just the growth in every area of your life in such a short period of time. So you get ready to get released in 2020, right before Thanksgiving, and you know you had this plan of going to Yuma, and you know this is the idea, and everything was set in stone. Um, but plans change. God had a different plan, and so did parole. Sure. And so ultimately you ended up uh, deciding to, you know, we always want to take the, the, the shortcut for quick results. And sometimes what I understand today is we have to take the hard route for long-term success. And that's what you did. And you actually went from prison into a 90 day program, new freedom. Yeah. So what was that like when you showed up at new freedom with another 90 days, your kids are in Yuma, your girls in Yuma, all these things are happening. And now you're here in another program for 90 days. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, so bef before my release, Michelle started getting things together. Her feet started moving. She started tapping into recovery. 
CPS, gave her the kids back. Um, it was like this honeymoon stage kind of a deal. We're starting to reconnect again. Um, we're considering getting back together. Um, I could talk to my kids because they're at her house. And she says, you know what? Like, you could just parole here. Sure. And I was like, that sounds like a good yeah, idea. Okay. You know I mean, like, she's a great cook. And I mean, we, <laughs> she's a great cook. Man, a good yeah. companion. I mean, yeah, like, absolutely. Best case scenario. Like, yeah. Like, sure, let's get it in. So she, I put it in, I put the move in and then, uh, Man, my CO3 calls me. That was the plan. Everything looked like it was good to go. And uh man, my CO3 calls me into the office one day and says, you know what, man, you gotta you gotta come up with another plan. What do you, what do you mean? Well, Pro said no, because she's your co-defendant. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> a little technicality. Yeah, I forgot about that. So go to New Freedom. At that time, yeah, exactly. I said, I'm gonna go to New Freedom. I got a hold of Denise. Um by that time, I had been mentored um, by Denise in prison. Um, I usually referred people to her, though I wasn't necessarily like planning, planning to go there. You were you were an ambassador, if right? You were. I, sure. was, I was helping directing people towards them. And uh, either way, though, I, I needed their help. You know what I mean, and she was like, "Absolutely." Um, my family didn't dig that too much. You know what I mean, because they were like, "Well, where Why? are you going? Why they don't have anything in Yuma?" And I was like. They literally had nothing in Yuma. Yeah, there was time, no half. I remember looking for places there. for you, and there was nothing. Sean, Sean had just got out. Him and Denise. Shout a out, Sean. What's up, Sean? A couple of people were helping me try to find something, and there was just nothing there. So, like, everything led to new freedom. And uh, so I prepared myself to go from um, from prison to a reentry facility. And and I committed, and I said, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to, again, do exactly what they asked me to do. I mean, I learned a lot from the program. I mean, having a sponsor, the results that come when when someone who's just a little bit more advanced than you gives you a suggestion and then you go and do it and the results that come from that. Um, I really dig that. So I said, I'm going to do the same thing here. These people are got something going on that I would like to have. And I said, I'm going to do whatever they ask me to do, no matter no matter what it looks like. And yeah, and that's the, what you did. That's what I did the day before Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. You made you decided to make that move and you touched down at New Freedom, man, and you did everything you were supposed to do. You took advantage of every single opportunity. You became a mentor there. You helped many, many different men. You contributed to groups. I mean, you pretty much facilitated groups as being uh, in the group and you were facilitating it from the chair because of your knowledge and experience and the work you'd already put in, in recovery. And you just played your part there in such an impressive way that you graduated from New Freedom. Um, and then ultimately, you know, we talk about all these jobs that we want to have, and sometimes we got to get what's called a recovery job. And what that is, is just a job to make some money and you're doing landscaping. And yeah. I remember talking to you. I mean, you're, I mean, you're grinding. <laughs> I mean, you're grinding out there, dude, landscaping. I've never done landscaping before. It's, it's man, it's Phoenix, Arizona, middle of summer. <laughs> I'm from California. I'm used to the palm trees and the cool weather. And I mean, but it's what it needed to be done. I mean, it was like whatever it takes, Caesar. And, and, um, I went out there and I, and, um, it was the starter job and it was going to get the bills paid. But most importantly, I needed to get into that structure of what it looked like to get up and work and work for, work for a living and save and all that stuff. And, um, you know, that job, it wasn't my dream job, but it was, but it, it, it was, worked. You had man. a purpose right there and it worked. Yeah. And so during this period of time, you know, you're working, you're doing those things. And ultimately, you know, I'm just going to pepper grind you here for a quick second. All right, brother, the old pepper grind special. So you graduate from New Freedom. You get a job working landscaping. You're saving every penny you get. You're fortunate enough to be such an example in, re in the recovery community that you get offered a, a, also a job 
managing a sober living as the house manager and you're doing that you're attending meetings you got a service commitment you have a sponsor you're working the steps you're going to bible studies you're bringing meetings back into new freedom as you're doing all this you buy a car you're contributing to the relationships in your in your kids you're supporting michelle in the best way that you can you're present in all their lives i mean the sir i mean dude the list goes on and on that is a miracle a truly a miracle and i remember there was a point when they when you were thinking about working in recovery and i had reached out to you and you said god hasn't hasn't told me that was that time yet well god eventually told you it was that time and you decided to make that move to your dream job if you will absolutely and your dream job today you actually work at new freedom now i work at new freedom as a mentor um man being able to help these guys prepare from prison for their release um I don't even feel like it's a job to be honest. The fact that they pay me for this is just, I'm almost ready to pay them. To sure. do this. I, I mean, know. it's a blessing to walk in I there. The I feeling. mean, the environment there, the people around there, um, so empowering to be a part of. And man, every plan that, that I've put together within this last year, like God said, no, no, that's not. And then he put something in front of me and it just makes it that much easier for me to trust him. I mean, because he's not failing me every time that, it doesn't make sense at first. I mean, sometimes I might even get a little upset. And I mean, like, why can't I have this? But then looking back, I'm like, oh, I see. That's why. That's why. And that's why. And I mean, and it's so easy to trust God and continue to do the best I can. And, and but yeah, man, having this job at New Freedom, um, I currently mentor uh, somewhere around 280 people in prison right now. Um, wow. I got sponsees out here. I'm active in service. Um, I'm involved in recovery. I have a sponsor. I, unreal i'm all about recovery yes you are and and your life reflects it man and it's just you know for for all the listeners out there to to hear his story and his message in part one and to hear this part of part two if he can do it you can do it if i can do it you can do it we're all the same it's just different environment but it's the same characteristics of our diseases that alcoholic mentality that's why we're the same that's why sponsorship works that's why the program works because we're the same and we have the solution a little bit of willingness, a little bit of honesty, a little bit of open-mindedness, and the gift of pain and desperation and acting on it and getting recovery, not relief, is what it's all about. And your life reflects that today, dude. I fucking love you, dude. I, love I mean, I love you so much. It's not even funny. <laughs> to have you here sitting here with you right now after meeting you when I met you in 2018 when you showed up and I interrogated the crap out of you. And to sit here with you now and call you my friend and call on you and ask you and, and just you jumping right on the fact that coming over to, to do this with me today, it just means the world to me, dude. And I can't thank you enough. I love you like a brother, dude. And uh, just the future, man. I just can't wait to see what that looks like. So thank you for being on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, God tune bless in. you guys. Yeah, God bless you guys. Get a sponsor. Work the steps. You got two choices. Either get busy living or get busy dying. Who's coming with us? Tune in for the next episode.